Hey! A reminder that, as always, this episode contains spoilers for the comic we're discussing. To be fair, this is a rather calm comic without big plot twists. You're pretty safe regardless. Also, before we jump in, I'm humbly asking you to please share this podcast however you can. Be it in your lunch break at work, to your cool aunt at a family dinner, or on your preferred social media platform. Cheers! You can find us at tumblr.com slash theartofpod, at the Art of Podcast on Twitter, and at the Art of Comics Pod on Instagram. Let's go! Hi, I'm Paul Duffield. I'm a comic artist who's currently considering quitting so that I can listen to the Eurovision playlist professionally. Hi, I'm Joss. I'm an artist, a streamer, and I am fuming because Finland got fucking robbed. <laughs> true, so true. <laughs> I love that both of our introductions are Eurovision themed this time around. It's on my mind, what can I say? <laughs> when you sent a meme of waking up or going to bed in the brain going like, cha, cha, cha. It's like, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's us and all of Europe, I think. We are talking about The Walking Man this week, which is one of your big babies, right? Yes, yeah. I first read this when I was, technically when I was 16, but only three pages from it. So it's been sort of like a weird part of my life for a long time. It's worth noting that the edition that I read contains only about two thirds of the material of the latest edition, which would be the one that you're most likely to get. So the one that I remember from when I was younger is, is actually a little different from the one that we're talking about now. Oh, is it the one you read when you were younger? Was it a little shorter? A lot shorter. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of new material in this. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm very interested to talk to you about that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Do you want to, have you written a blurb? Do you want to? I have. I think mine is exceptionally weak this week. Don't worry, mine is too. Don't you ever wonder what life could look like if you truly slowed down and actively watched? The Walking Man resonated deeply with me. The comic feels like a portrayal of my weekly treks, and we could all do with romanticizing the uneventful a little more. I urge you to take this episode with you on a walk and get twice the experience. Oh, that's great. Mine's way basic. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. The Walking Man is literally about a man who walks. It follows the main character when he decides to take a walk, and it's that simple. There you go, that's the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the actual blurb on the book isn't that much more riveting. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, like you put your finger on in your blurb, this is like when you hear people talk about stories that don't do anything. Take that, and rather than turning it up to 11, you turn it up to 25. It's the quintessential walking simulator of comics. Yeah, it is. But in, in this instance, you also don't have control over the character. You're just passively going along as this character decides for you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really interested to hear that it resonated with you. Because I've got like so much to say about this, but I'm most interested to know what you thought. So the TLDR is that I liked it. I did not like what I suspect is the tacked on content from roughly page 191 or something. I can't remember exactly where it is in the comic. But from there on out, I was very lost. But until then, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, it resonated with me. I have felt a lot like this main character feels on my walks. I firmly believe that as a, as a society in the quote-unquote modern world, we really do not slow down enough and just 
appreciate trivial stuff. Yeah, fully agreed. To explain a little bit about my history with the book, the very first time I saw this book was in a gallery show for manga pages. So these were the original pages or prints of the original pages blown up. And there were all sorts of different creators in the exhibition. But this is when I was 16, when getting your hands on some properly translated manga was really hard. And so the idea that there was a gallery show in an art gallery of manga was mind-blowing. So I went with my partner, Kate, who at the time wasn't my partner. We were just friends in college. Was it a date? It was almost a date, yeah. (laughs) It was one of those things where we were, you know, it was pre-relationship, but obviously we were destined. (laughs) It certainly, yeah, it felt exciting for a number of reasons, including that. But this little sequence from the book, and I've made a note from it here, it's page 111 to 115, was displayed in the show, blown up to larger than A1 per page. That's sort of like bigger than poster size and I spent half of my time at the exhibition just staring at these pages and the detail in them and the feeling of being absorbed in this environment it's when he's uh, just after he's given directions to the old lady and and squeezed himself through the alley and then sees her again on the other side Mm -hmm. and it was so normal but everything in the page was so beautifully observed that it made a normal moment totally come to life. It's like, um, I wouldn't have had this word for it, but when people talk about mindfulness or mindful meditation, it's it's like that turned into a comic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just stuck with me. I wouldn't read the full book for another 10 years, but I, I searched for it desperately in those 10 years. Oh, yeah. It's, it's wild to think back on now how unavailable these things were for the longest time, and now we just sit down. I literally sat down, clicked buy, and had it a week later. <laughs> yeah. I treat this like there's some some sort of rarity because of how hard it was to find originally. Um, <laughs> I did order the extended edition just to, to give it a try for this podcast, and um, it did arrive in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. I did a little, you know me, I'm a nerd. So I did a little research on the stuff surrounding this, and you expressed that the author didn't receive that much fame or acclaim outside of Japan, and I just mm. want to correct that and say that he actually did. Oh, really? What for? Um, he, okay, I am not even going to pr- like attempt to pronounce this in French, but he was, uh, unsurprisingly to me, picked up by French people. He uh, also collaborated with Mobius, yes. and he was knighted a chevalier under the French establishment Order of Arts and Letter. I would say oh, that's... Shit pretty pretty high praise <laughs> yeah that's huge praise yeah i kind of had an inkling that he was big in france and had forgotten about that when i made that comment he certainly hasn't made it into english-speaking countries he's also very much one of those uh, artists who will always be appreciated by professionals but maybe not so much by and i do not mean this condescendingly but not as much by casuals because that just yeah. is not the kind of work that resonates with you know your average person yeah absolutely and the technical quality in his art is off the chain it's um it's it's really intense and mm. i can see how he'd fit into the bon dessiné world as well because he's got this sort of like very very strong technical draftsmanship behind his artwork that you see in a lot of french novels another thing i found is also that one of his works called a distant neighborhood was adapted to a live action film in belgium really yeah oh, well i have actually read a distant neighborhood it's um 
It's on my shelf. I enjoyed it. It's one of my favorite ones that isn't The Walking Man of his. Mm. And this next point is what I wanted to to get to when you said that it felt like a form of meditation because director Guillermo del Toro has said that he is a manga poet. And I think that's very accurate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it's impossible to understate how much of an impact this comic had on my personal work and on the way I saw the possibilities within comics. Mm -hmm. Again, it's difficult to sort of put yourself into a mindset. We're talking kind of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, I, I was aware that comics could be for adults, but that they were often like genre comics. You'd often read sort of science fiction, fantasy, that kind of thing. You know, or, or if people were talking about comics that broke the mold, they just broke the mold within a pre-existing paradigm like Watchmen did. And then to read something that was literally just about someone's meditative experience of normal events in their life and to think, shit, comics can be about that? That's amazing. <laughs> was, uh, yeah, it was kind of mind-blowing. It is really fun that you had said up front that this meant a lot to you and reading it, I kept going, yeah. I can see Paul in this. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, that's cool. be because of how you pace your comic and how you also do take time to just like because we I, I mean, there's a reason we do this together, right? Because we have some similar tastes in a lot of things and we yeah. we especially enjoy the same kind of comics most of the time, at least. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And I can see that appreciation of pacing that is allowed to breathe and that was very much present in this comic mm, yeah absolutely that kind of slowing down and and taking time it's it's funny actually i've got a note here saying i rushed and felt silly but what that means is just like when i came around to reading this i'd left it a little bit too late because i had the feeling that i'd already read it before so and when i sat down on it i was like oh i gotta get through this so i started rushing the reading experience in the first chapter and it demanded that i slowed down it just sort of, it didn't work at all. And then I paused on a panel for a moment and I was like, oh, that's how this is meant to be read. I'd forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very different from a lot of comics we've read so far in terms of it's kind of similar to Step by Bloody Step. It is mostly wordless. There is more talking in this than Step by Bloody Step, but you could easily have told, I would argue, 90% of this manga without much speech. Yeah, there are even, I think there are, Weirdly enough, I'd love to know the circumstances behind the publication, but there are two or three comics in here that are either replicated in colour or were originally in colour, and they have narration over the top of them, and none of the rest of the comic does. I don't know why that is, because uh, the narration I don't think adds all that much, it just tends to describe the pictures. I wonder if it's done in some sort of poetic meter in the original Japanese. Oh, are you thinking that maybe it read, for example, like a haiku or something? Yeah, I'm just thinking of, you know, when you get those sort of like ukiyo-e style mm -hmm. um, paintings and, and you'll get sort of several columns of vertical text and occasionally you get those moments in anime where they are, they'll appear and the vertical text will scroll downwards. It gave me that kind of feeling, but it, because it had been translated, it was hard to tell what the original looked like. Yeah, that's a good point. And I was actually meaning to ask you what you thought about the voiceover, because as you pointed out, the, the rest of the comic doesn't have a voiceover outside of these. Uh, I think you're right. I think there's... Are there two chapters with the main character and then one chapter in the extended edition where there's also this narrator? Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, there's this sort of... it's. 
And the original book ended on one of those chapters. Mm, and I remember, really? yeah. And I remember like there was, there is a sort of, there is a moment when it works, when it sounds like the cadence of the language sounds almost poetic. Okay, then I'm curious. Does the, does the, is the final chapter in the original non-extended, the dream continues? Uh, let's have a look. It's all out of order as well. Oh, okay. That's weird because at least from, this is the page I mean, 191 and onwards feels like the extended, this was put in afterwards. To me. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. None of those, from that point onwards, none of those were in the original. Um, and I agree with you, I, I wasn't such a fan of them. The last one, the last chapter in the original is totally out of order. It's the one that starts 10 years later. Yeah, that really threw me for a loop. I was like, oh, oh, oh okay, why is this in the middle here? Yeah, it's odd. I don't know what the original order of publication was or where it was originally published, but it does give a, an odd pacing sort of... I can see why they might have reordered it for the original edition to put that one last. But it also looks like parts of these have been repainted or redrawn for the extended edition. Oh, really? Yeah, because this whole one is painted in the extended edition, but it's just penned and toned in the original. There's one that ends a brief interlude in daily life where nothing is pressing. I wander along the pathless bank of the river slowly. And that feels like some form of Japanese poem to me. Yeah, it's the, the one with the fisher, right? That's it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I was not too fond of the voiceover slash narrator because it felt very out of place for this. And since I, you know, unfortunately do not uh, speak or read Japanese, I have no way of looking up the original, but I can definitely see it reading much nicer or more fluently with that kind of artistic approach to text. But mm. in the English version, it just seems kind of mansplainy. It's like, I would have understood <laughs> that this is how he felt walking down this riverbank. Yeah, it's very handholdy, isn't it? Yeah. And it was so, like I said, out of place with the rest of it, which just assumes that you're able to read his expressions and body language and actions and then gauge the emotional resonance from there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so easy to do that in the other stories. It's, it feels odd that the text is there. I have like a personal rule for myself. This isn't necessarily like a universal rule for comics or anything. It's just something I try to do, which is that if the image carries a piece of information, I try not to replicate that piece of information in the text somehow. And that narration does that all of the time. It's like, I decided to walk down a riverbank. <laughs> Picture of him walking down the riverbank. Thanks for that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, actually a very good rule. I've never thought about it myself, but I'll I'll try to keep that in mind because I I also agree. It is it is this uh, egregious kind of handholding, like you called it, where it kind of harks back to something I've discussed before, where it feels like the reader isn't trusted to grasp the entirety of it if they're not guided all the time. And this specific mangaka just does not strike me as a person who lacks that trust in the reader or even gives a fuck if that's not too assumptions of me. No, and it's very interesting that there are two modes in this. There's this like narration mode, which is used very rarely. And then there's the rest of it, which is full of wordless sequences where he's clearly trusts you to read all the same information. So there seems to be something else going on there, I think. Yeah, definitely. I feel like this is one of those lost in translation scenarios once again. Yeah, yeah, most likely. So were there, were there any bits that sort of stood out to you particularly? Yes, I mean, <laughs> I could almost say that everything stood out to me until 191. 
<laughs> yeah, we, we'll get to that. <laughs> but my very first bookmark was page 21. Okay. Where he is, he's having a walk, of course, no surprises there. Uh, he picks up a horseshoe, he looks at the, the, the ducks and or geese, don't ask me what kind of bird, because I'm not a bird expert. But then he looks up at the birds taking flight, and my immediate reaction was like, oh my god, did a bird just poop on his glasses? But it's, it's starting to snow, and that's what he's reacting to. And I thought that was just funny and clever, because I think it's very intentional that you're supposed to go, oh no, did they duke at the man? But then it's, you know, it's just a weather. Yeah, yeah, there's some nice, um, nice sort of like moments in a, in a comic that's all about contemplative pacing. There's another bit that I marked out somewhere here, let's check. It's page 176. It's a smash cut from him being absolutely soaked in the rain, having had a, a, a bit of a crap walk. And he walks past a bathhouse, and it's a smash, cut to, a smash cut to him, like, just chilling out in this bathhouse, and it looks so steamy and relaxy. Uh, it's funny, I had a bookmark on these pages as well, because I wanted to ask you, this is the comic's only dual spread, like both pages are fully illustrated pages, no panels. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to ask you, what was your thought of that? Because that actually, I think they're both very beautifully done, but I suddenly got a little pulled out of the experience of reading a comic, and I felt like I was looking at an art book for a little moment. Mm. It never jarred to me. Um, actually, one of my favorite pages in this book is i think a full page like that's one of the only other ones <laughs> is it uh, on page uh, 41 because i have that one too because <laughs> i think <laughs> that's see. the only other it full is. spread yeah <laughs> yes but that one's full bleed that one's not set into a panel like the other two so it's slightly different and perhaps works a little better because of that it looks yeah. less like a piece of artwork set onto a page. Funnily enough, I do think the fact that the, the two other fully illustrated pages are kind of treated like one big panel on each page, it restricts them a little bit and makes me very aware that there are two pages next to one another with two full panels. Yeah, I really like that moment of him sitting in the tree was another one. When I finally managed to get a hold of this book after 10 years of waiting, I think I saw it in a compilation of manga or something with a publication that like had an ISBN number on it. I had to look up the ISBN number to, to buy the book. Um, that was the first page where I was just like, this is everything that it had promised to be from that exhibition. And I remember scanning in that page at as high resolution as I could possibly do for the time and printing it out as a poster. So it was on my wall for a while. But um. Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. It's a beautiful page for... Uh, I mean, since this is a podcast, so people can't see it, but the main character is sitting high up in a tree. He's recently climbed up to fish down a paper airplane for some kids who got it stuck up there. And then since he's already up there, you kind of get the feeling that he's like, oh, I might as well enjoy the view and the situation. So he ends up sitting there and the vast amount of detail on this page from the tree itself to the background with all the houses and the trees going inwards into the landscape is um, yeah it's so good there's something about jiro tanaguchi's ability to put overwhelming detail on a page but not confuse it i don't quite understand how it works i if i were to analyze this and by all means not an expert but he balances perfectly well foreground heavy detail background little detail because you see in the foreground it's very line heavy oh. and then when you go into the landscape there's white silhouettes basically yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can see what you're sort of, you're talking about. He sort of um, uses the density of the detail as a as a distance marker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very okay. Uh, I'm, yeah, starting to understand it. 
One of the things I noticed about the book was how light the toning is. Like it's very, very rarely, apart from one of the, the later comics after the sort of extended material, it's very, very rarely, if ever, got any spot blacks on it. It's all the tones are very mid gray or light gray, but somehow it feels really rich. Yeah, it's never, what's the word I'm looking for? It's never flat and dull. Regardless of the very light tones, it feels so alive. And I think that's very unusual because usually you see a lot of people hark about values and tones and grace that they have to be stark contrast to really bring out the image. And this is such a beautiful example of it doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah, that's it. It does fly in the face of a lot of conventional illustrators' wisdom, I guess, which is nice. It's good to see. In, in a again, it was quite rare to be able to come across um, people talking on a super professional level about art, unless you were in an art course. But now we are absolutely flooded with it. You know, all you need to do is pop on YouTube, and you can see ten different professionals explaining value theory to you in really clear, easy to understand ways. But I do feel that that sometimes creates a certain amount of conformity in creative process because these rules are there to inform you and ultimately to be broken when you know you can end up with people swearing blind that one tangent or not enough tonal contrast destroys a painting or something it's uh, strange <laughs> yeah and that finally leads me to the the last page that i have marked which is 127 mm -hmm. where I wanted to point it out because there's nothing too much happening in this page but the paneling direction is exquisite from a rule technical standpoint, <laughs> which is why it's a, a funny like leap up from what you just said that you should break rules. But if there's one thing I am personally very weak for in comics is when the panels guide the viewer. Because yeah, there, there's actually been several instances in previous comics we have talked about where I have made notes to point out why I think something is poor panel pacing. And then whenever we talked about it, I just never felt like bringing it up because I didn't want to sound like a technical know-it-all or that kind of like, mm, teacher, it's supposed to be this way and when you do it this way, it's wrong. Because it <laughs> isn't from a overall standpoint, you're allowed to do whatever the heck you want. But I will say that on 127, the pacing is really excellently guided from there's a dog spotting a rabbit. The dog looks towards the rabbit and then the man looks diagonally down to the next frame where you see the rabbit is blurred because the man got his uh, glasses broken in this chapter. Then the man once again looks diagonally down. The rabbit is now facing towards the yeah. next panel of the character and then he has turned and looks to the last panel on the page. And this is like excruciating trying to explain to someone visually in a podcast. But if you do, if you are able to get your hands on this comic in one way or another, just I urge you to look at this specific page and really see what I mean about really excellent directional pacing of guiding the eye in a comic because this is masterclass. Oh yeah, 100%. I hadn't tweaked on that, but there are several steps in this page where you could just read in a completely different order without those visual cues. It's almost like the the man looking in a specific direction is like a wall that you do not go to the panel he's not looking at, which is really uh, really cleverly done. There's also something that I've only just picked up on, and because I've been thinking about panel borders a lot lately, that I really appreciate about this, which is that the vertical panel borders are slimmer than the horizontal panel borders which reinforces cross-reading because the panels are literally physically slightly closer to each other. It's a really oh, nice touch. I did not notice that, but you're so correct. That is very cool. It's really consistent throughout the whole thing as well. Now that you pointed it out, I can't not see it. 
<laughs> yeah. This is clearly an artist who just thinks very carefully and methodically about the way that he lays out things. But it never feels like it was made in a lab. That is the fine line you're always skirting with this when you can tell that there's a lot of technical skill applied to something. It can quickly become mechanical because you're so obsessed about the so-called rules and to make it right that you kind of lose some of the quirky playfulness. And for the main base of this book, that is so not the case. It's always fun and playful. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's meticulous at the same time. I wonder if it's something about the pacing being so slow and deliberate that allows the almost slow and deliberate technical art to really sing at the same time. Because it, it's got its own form of spontaneity, but it's not kind of like super snappy or in your face. And it just sort of works nicely together. I have read other books by Jiro Taniguchi, and I always appreciate his artwork, but I've read other books by him, like the Mobius one's a good example that I just didn't get into. Oh, interesting, because I looked it up today, obviously, when I did the research, and I've never read anything by Mobius himself, so I don't have that connection to him that a lot of people do, but I do, of course, hmm. know of his work because it's insanely beautiful. But when I googled to see a couple of examples of the pages... I have to say, I was very intrigued. I was like, I really want to read this. And then I looked up to get it and you can get it on Amazon for like $137. And I was like, because okay. oh, wow. it's clearly out of print or something. Yeah, because I remember it reading well from page to page. Like there's no way that there's no way that an artist of this caliber is going to fail to do that. But I didn't really connect to the whole thing overall and might be worth giving it another try. Yeah, I think I was just intrigued and not to talk completely about another comic while we're talking about another comic, but I think it juxtaposed so strongly to this because the theme seemed very different and I was very intrigued to see someone with this deft touch to slow pacing apply it to a completely different genre. Yes and he's been all over the place in terms of genre like one of my favorite books by him other than this is called Summit of the Gods. It's I think it's written by someone else and illustrated by him but it's a very dramatic retelling of uh, the life of a mountain climber and it is white knuckle stuff like I've never read anything that made me so like it, you know gave me vertigo and it made me worried for the character and he uses his insane technical skill in that to bring out that kind of more high octane side of the of the comic so he really is a, a proper virtuoso I think oh yeah I wanted to ask you that's right how do you feel about his sort of I think they're watercolors or inks perhaps as opposed to the tone and, and ink so it's one of those where I don't think it's that strong, if I'm perfectly honest. And I could not do it better because I'm not a traditional artist. So I don't mean to dunk on anyone. But I just don't think the watercolors marries that well with the way he does line work. I think that marries way better with tonal work. Yeah, agreed. I think something about his uh, line work is very, very full of volume, even when there's no sort of hatching or, or details inside of it. And I think that Weirdly enough, the extra lighting in the watercolor sort of flattens it somehow. Yeah, it's one of those where it kind of feels like if you're doing color that includes shading, it's not flat color. There, it seems like you funnily enough depend more on the contrasting that we were talking about and the, the grace. Because if you skip those, it very quickly feels a little lifeless. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that you kind of felt the same way as me. Because I remember also that because I'd seen those stunning black and white pages to begin with 
when I first saw the cover of the book and the coloured work, it didn't quite resonate with, me, resonate with me in the same way or pull me in in the same way. And I remember wanting to like it, but just not liking it as much. I didn't have the words to talk about it back then because I was just a lot younger. <laughs> yeah, and I I will fully admit that there's several times where I, especially when it comes to manga, if I pick up a volume in the store and I see that it's fully colored, I'm immediately disinterested because I feel like the weird 1% who... I don't gravitate towards colored comics. I love them when they're black or white or with gray tones. I think there's something incredibly romantic about it when it's left that bare, quote-unquote, compared to when it's been meticulously rendered. Or even, um, this is something we see now when a lot of webcomics get published, is that they have these flat colors where you can just see that not a lot of time has been spent on it. And I think it, in many cases, it limits the art. There's one of those things where the, the history of comic art, if you sort of like trace back the influences from in both the East and the West, you eventually find black and white line work. And I think that the kind of the things that both sides of, of uh, both cultures have inherited from its own comic past, I guess, uh, lend itself towards that black and white feel. And there's just something about, I don't, I don't know, there's something about comics which suit that level of elegance and simplicity. Because you're kind of, you're overwhelmed by a lot of things in comics. There can be a lot of detail, a lot of panels, there's a lot of text, and there is something really nice about being able to create big spaces of white or black, about being able to draw your eye to levels of detail all that kind of stuff that's harder to do. You can do it with colour, but it's almost like you're trying to force a round peg into a square hole. Yeah, absolutely. And that harkens back to what I just said, where I think in a lot of instances, colours take away from all the work meticulously put into a comic. Depending on your setting and everything, of course, and just how heavily you render, there can be a lot of different colours on one page, and that can be just way too busy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like comics colouring is... Um... It's always sort of like a battle between detail and clarity and a battle between realistic portrayal of colours and actually how you want people to read your scene and so on. And if you're not thinking about ahead of time what colours are going to be somewhere and what colours are going to sort of allow the, the reader to sort of sit with the panel in the way that you want them to, it just completely undermines the reading experience, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I agree. So... Uh, at some point we were going to get around to the extra material. <laughs> oh, can I just say before we jump to that, because oh, yeah. you, you know by now how I do my notes, I do the positive, the negatives, and then lore and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And on my negatives, I had... Uh, and it made so much sense to me now that you said that things were out of order, because, for example, sometimes the dog was there, sometimes it wasn't, and I was just like, oh, okay. But now I understand that it has been taken out of chronological order so that that just felt confusing but it makes sense but another one of my things that made me go uh, was in the very first chapter i gotta be real i thought his wife was his daughter because she's <laughs> she's drawn very young and then yeah. later on the very few times she speaks she seems very infantile and i was just like this is very weird the way they communicate i again don't know if it's a lost in translation kind of thing or if it's the fact that we just see them speak so very little because their interaction are kept at a minimum but it yeah. 
yeah, it was one of the few times in the main book where I was just like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this. First time I read it, I was sort of, again, it's a bit like Uzumaki. Their, their relationship is absolutely not romantic or sexual at all either. So the first time I read it, I think I assumed it was his daughter for a while. He just calls her honey, which I guess could be a, a mistranslation or something. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I know what you mean. It did feel a little odd. Yeah, and it made me, since they they were put there in the first place, it made me miss the feeling of knowing more about them. I feel like that was one of the weaker points of the comic, that if you're actually going to introduce these characters to me and that they they have a life together and they communicate together, because if we also had just continued on the quiet trajectory between the two of them as well, I wouldn't have found it that odd if Taniguchi actually gave the, the wife and or daughter or whatever, because we don't really ever know, I think, is never really clarified, but let's assume she is the wife. If she was given the same kind of room to express herself quietly, I would have been like, okay, this is very sweet. They're obviously two very safe people who do not depend on speech to communicate all the time. But mm. then instead, they make them talk together and it's very bare bones and dull, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, they seem to have, if we do assume that they're husband and wife they seem to have a very very gentle sweet relationship is how i'd put it but it does often beg the question sort of you know what's the wife doing right now or where is she going or uh, and you do occasionally like he comes across her on a walk and she's been out walking the dog or he'll head out and she's doing some housework or something it feels like a very almost like if you were to watch a sort of a 1920s japanese film that would be the kind of familial relationship you'd get in it very, very old-fashioned and traditional feeling, whilst not feeling kind of exploitative or anything quite like that. Yeah, it's kind of just there as a big nothing burger. There's something interesting about the framing of the book, and I put this into my blurb, which is that the framing is always, or almost always, things kick off when he's by himself. It's quite a solitary feeling book. Even when he's interacting with other people, we get the impression that the interactions are passing or that he's taking pleasure in meeting strangers who he'll probably never see again. And because of that, every time you see anything about his life, the dog, uh, his wife, his house, it's a sort of a momentary resting point at the beginning or end of one of the chapters. And you get the impression that there's a whole sort of life there, but you never see into that life. With this one exception of when, having found an old seashell in their garden, they decide to take it back to the coast and go on holiday together. And there's a yeah. nice sequence where they walk together for a while. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that was a very beautiful sequence. And that's kind of what I mean, where I wish the book has allowed for more of those moments where I don't necessarily need them to be together all the time, but there she finally felt like a character and by then it was over. I would have loved for that sort of thing to be more of the extended material, like a, some extra glimpses into their life or some more chapters yeah. where we see her or perhaps we go on walks with her instead of just the, the, the guy because they have no names. Yeah. But instead... <laughs> yeah, this uh, segues. Finally, we're, we're stopping uh, torturing the, the listeners and <laughs> jumping into what I assume neither of us like that much. Yeah. So yeah, what, what were your impressions? So I got to be real and say that when I first flipped over to 191, I went, oh, uh, is this supposed to be the dude younger? Uh. And then as I kept reading, I went, I guess nothing here really made sense to me. And then I came into the next one on 201. And that's when I went, am I even reading by the same author anymore? Because the art style was jarringly different. 
the voiceover narration was back, and I think I wrote in my initial notes before I clean wrote them, this feels like a hokey noir. What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. It changes entirely. I had the same jarring thing. There's just something slightly different about the way that he draws the character in that. It's uh, Funnily enough, it's the solid black. <laughs> it's not just that one. It's the previous one you talked about, though, where you were like, is this him but younger? Very similar looking character, but I almost wonder if it's a different character. He's got a slightly longer nose, slightly slimmer face. The consistency of the drawing up until that point is what makes it so alarming. Yeah, and here it almost looks like the the gray tones have been done by marker and not by toning, like the toning things that they apply. Yeah, I wonder if this was perhaps made many years later or something and his style had drifted or something like that. But again, you, you know, when you pick up an old character, even if it was in an old style, it, it feels like putting on old clothes or something, it's not that hard to get them right again. So I genuinely don't know what's going on there. And then there is that that random one where he, there's a totally different character who goes because into the past. this is where I went, <laughs> it can't be the same. He seems like an asshole in this one. What happened? Yeah, I know, right? It just felt like a kind of a, like a weird betrayal of everything else. Because it's got this beautiful tone and feeling and let's assume it is his wife. His relationship to her seems really sweet. And and then he's suddenly cheating on her with this other lady that he's yeah. obsessed with. And then when I came to the last panel on 210, I was like, what the fuck is this? This feels like someone's high school comic. It's so pretentious. I, it was, I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I really wish that I knew that this was the case. And even like, no matter how fun it is ribbing on it with you, I wish I had stopped on 188 and just been like, oh, that was a good meal. Thank you. Finally, some good fucking food and gone to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, I read these like last, I don't know, 30 remaining pages. And I just went, because the final, there's one final chapter after this where it goes supernatural. I was just like, I am, what? Did this dude do drugs all of a sudden? What the fuck is happening here? <laughs> I think this might be because he is such a versatile creator and I've read stuff that I really did not get on with by him. So perhaps he just works better in certain genres. <laughs> it's not the genre itself. It's that the rest has been the most slice of life slice of life I've ever read. It is so sliced down. It's like the tiniest little piece of a cake. And then you go to the first one of these extra chapters where he's presumably still the same character can't tell and he meets this lady at the shore and has some like waspy thought process about her and the birds and i just went is she the crane in the water by the end is this very hokey i don't know but i'm you know i'm willing to forgive it on to next and then it came to the noir section where this douchey ass dude falls in love with this woman who clearly doesn't love him back and she's like no we gotta we gotta stop because this isn't working and then he's like but i love you and then he's just basically tries to stalk her unsuccessfully and then in the last one is this dude who follows a cat and then travels back in time and then he travels back again without really understanding anything i felt like he just went the entire chapter going oh to everything <laughs> Yeah. I was just frustrated. In a way, I'm sort of bummed that this was my experience of the expanded edition because I've got this like historical relationship with this book where I was first teased with four or five pages and then they were, you know, life changing. And then I found the book and it was paradigm shifting. And now I get the extended edition. What's my experience going to be? Oh, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> this. 
Yeah, that was really bummy. And the thing is, when I read it, I immediately went, hmm, this is probably the extended edition. Hmm, I do not think Paul is going to like this either. That sucks. <laughs> yeah. I will say it is a shame that they are not in order. I feel like that's a lazy... That's a lazy thing for the people who put this together to republish it, to not bother having it in the proper order. But what I can't tell is whether their first edition was out of order or the second edition is out of order or whether they're both out of order. Yeah, I don't know. So was it, were there any other sort of things that stood out to you in a negative way in, in the earlier parts of the book? No, I had, funnily enough, I had very little notes overall for this one because I just enjoyed it. It was my first experience with it, so I went in unknowing. I just knew that it was one of your all-time favorites. And the moment I started reading, I immediately knew, ah, yes, I will like this. I could just tell from page one because of the pacing, the art style, everything. I, I just immediately enjoyed it. And it just never really challenged me all that much, which sometimes is exactly what you want. Sometimes you don't want to sit down and become a cynical hag that I really felt that I became with Witch Hat Atelier last week. This week felt like a palate cleanser where I was like, hmm, ah, yes, this, uh, this is just safe and warm and comfortable. I feel very seen by it. I feel like this is a good life lesson that a lot of more people should pick up on, on how beautiful and serene life can be if you just allow yourself a moment of, you know, private enjoyment with nature or your surroundings. Yeah, and I wonder if that sort of is something that resonated with a Japanese readership earlier than it might have done with ours, because they're, especially in the sort of late 80s, 90s, absolutely famed for their intense working uh, environment and conditions and hours. And I feel this particular publication flies in the face of that, probably deliberately. Because he does have a sort of a salaryman vibe as well. It's clear that he does, you know, work in the city and commutes and all of that kind of stuff. There's yeah. one that I really like where he obviously comes back late and or drunk and tired um, and sort of stumbles out of the cab and goes on a kind of gets a second wind, ends up on the top of a like a city block or something. Oh, or yeah, just an isolated he, tower. Where he swings out. Yeah, just falls asleep in the sunset. I thought that was that was quite nice. But that gave us a little glimpse of perhaps an overly intense or hectic work schedule outside of these glimpses that we're seeing. Yeah, I will say, it, not that this is a negative, but another thing that stood out to me that had me go, yeah, dude, I can never be in a relationship with this guy, is that she seems to never have tag on where the fuck he is. <laughs> especially when he fell asleep on the roof, I was like, yeah. his wife must be stressed AF. She's just at home going, oh my god, has he died? <laughs> I can only assume that he's always coming back late and so it wasn't that unusual or that sometimes he sleeps over at work or something, but... Again, maybe it's one of those cultural things. Yeah. One that stood out to me is I read it slightly different this time around because it has been a good sort of like, uh, you know, six or seven years since I last read this was the one where he goes skinny dipping. Mm. Not necessarily because of the nudity, but because it seems to be a public pool he's in. And it mm -hmm. struck me as much more like naughty <laughs> than the first time I read it. Yeah, I actually made a note that I didn't include in my clean notes because I wasn't sure if I, I would sound like a five-year-old, but I did go, because it was sudden nudity in a, an otherwise rather puritarian portrayal of a man. And then suddenly he's just like, legs wide, dick out. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. I didn't <laughs> see this coming. And I, I mean, it doesn't bother me the least, but it was a page turn where I went, <laughs> Yeah. 
and it, again, this does come up sometimes in discussions about Japanese media. There is a sort of a slightly more casual relationship with nudity. You know, like uh, bath scenes are relatively normal, and that's sort of very different from English media. Yeah, I guess I haven't really thought about it like that because I think I've also gotten very used to you know, basically soft porn stuff like HBO series where it's just like, how much violence and porn can we shove in your face without it being actually marked as, you know, unstreamable pornography? Yeah, and I think that's that's the main thing going on here is that somehow we've ended up associating any nudity at all with sexual content in our media, whereas there's a lot of not totally non-sexual, like, this is completely non-sexual nudity here, yet it still makes you go, oh, Hold on a moment. <laughs> yeah, and there's also, you know, there's no denying the fact that we're seeing a full penis, which even in today's society, we just do not see a lot of dong because, you know, because of fucking Christianity and Puritarians. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know why. I don't know why it's so cool to just have tits out, vag out. Like, of course, you never see women also spread their legs fully nude because God forbid that we see what we actually look like. Uh, sorry, cis women. But you n- very rarely, because every time to this day when I see a dick in the wild, I'm just like, that's a penis. And it's not because I'm A, interested in dicks or B, clutching my pearls. It's that it's kind of like seeing a fucking dragon. You just never fucking see them. And then suddenly they're there and you're just like, uh, how, am I, how am I supposed to react to this? Am I, uh, should I giggle? Should I be appalled? Should I smile? Should I just pretend it's not there? Yeah, it's like the inner 10 year old comes out. <laughs> yeah, and I hate it because obviously I've seen so much nudity in my life. I'm I'm the opposite of fucking prude. I mean, I have a goddamn pussy peach tattooed on the inside of my arm. I'm very not prude. But... I distinctly remember the first time I saw Watchmen, the movie by, is it Zack Snyder, question mark? Mm, Yes, I think so. And Dr. Manhattan enters a scene completely naked with his dingle dongle dingle dongling. And I was just like, and then there were three of him suddenly, all with dingle dongles, dingle dongling. And I was so bothered. I was sitting there in this this movie like, I don't know how to deal with this because this is never just, they, they don't do this kind of shit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have this image of you in the cinema sort of like clutching the sides of your seat looking around to see if anyone else is <laughs> reacting the same way as you. <laughs> to be fair, this was the same movie where I think I scared the entire audience because there's a spoiler alert for an old movie by now. When the owl man and S- what the fuck is her name? Silk Spectre? I don't remember. Uh, when Alman shags this lady in the airplane, they play Leonard Cohen Hallelujah and he when they both climax, he slaps his foot on the throttle and the ship spews out flames. And I scream laughed because I found it so stupid and so on the nose. And I f- remember to this day, there was a dude in the audience going like, who the fuck is that chick laughing right now? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, I miss experiences like that in the cinema. That's uh, <laughs> uh, reminds me of uh, the time we went to see... Um, this is sort of more audience acting together, but we went to see The Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think it is the second movie, but it's the one where Aragorn comes and beheads the orc that's killed Boromir. Spoilers. And the whole audience stood up and clapped. <laughs> oh, I love stuff like that. It was fantastic. Right, <laughs> back to The Walking Man. But back uh, to the dick. Yeah. <laughs> Any other pages you got bookmarks on? 
No, uh, because again, I had very little bookmarks because I I could easily open every single page and be like, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is really good. And then we would sit here all day and I would try to explain again. This is the frustrating thing with our format, right? Trying to explain visual cues by sound is quite tricky. Yeah, it can be hard. Oh yeah, so like one one moment that uh, we haven't mentioned that I thought stood out to me on rewatch because it was a little different uh, in terms of intensity. So on mm-hmm. page 166, you get this beautiful uh, scene of him carrying a large tatami screen through, or, or something, I'm not sure what that is, through dappled sunlight, but it's clearly heavy and he's sweating. And then he comes across a standpipe and just absolutely douses himself. <laughs> and I loved the like intensity of that kind of moment where like the water's pouring all over his head and you can see his like shock having been uh, hot and then he's suddenly cold. Yeah, and it also felt very out of character to see him just go like, as the water pours over him. Like I can hear the exhausted exhale in this panel, even though there, again, there's no sound effects in this comic. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah he's excellent at uh, sort of evoking a, a sound with the shape of a mouth. He has a quite an unusual way of drawing faces. I know some people don't tend to get on with it, but I really like the way that he stylizes expressions. I personally really enjoy it, and I know we <laughs> feel like we should have a counter. We went X amount of episodes without mentioning Satoshi Kon, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he he kind of is Satoshi Kon adjacent for me, where it hits this realism that could quickly become Uncanny Valley, but because he is so deft at it, it never skirters Uncanny Valley and makes me uncomfortable. Instead, it makes me believe that these are actual people in a real setting and not some fantasy universe. Yeah, there's a whole school of manga artists from that era, I think, who really managed to capture that. Satoshi Kon's got it. Katsuhiro Tomo manages it. And if you look at their kind of, like, especially the ones that cross over into animation, if you look at their credits, they almost all worked on Akira or Wings of Honiamis, which was sort of early groundbreaking films in that with that kind of feel to them have i ever admitted to you that i've never watched akira <gasps> really wow you know you haven't you can see you can tell because i'm so shocked <laughs> yeah so the thing is um i oh, oh boy i'm about to out a very uh, unflattering quality about myself it's the least sexy i am is when people go, you have to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, thanks, bitch. You just made sure that I'm never going to do exactly that. Oh, right. Okay. It's You've got like a, a contrarian streak. Yeah, I get very tilted. It's it's probably like my neurodivergency or I'm just like bonkers. But I get very tilted when people forcefully suggest something. You have to be very meticulous if you're going to suggest something to me. If okay. you go, I really liked it. That's great. If you go, You'll, you're going to love this. I'm, I'm immediately like, no, no, bitch, I, I hate it. I hate it just because you said that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm willing to guess if that's the case for Akira, you haven't seen Ghost in the Shell, like the 98 Ghost in the Shell either. Isn't it 95? No, no, I think it's 98. I, okay. I can't be sure about it. Anyway, that one, you know, the, the first. Uh... I have because. Oh, you have. Okay, right. <laughs> so the thing is, uh, your girl, as has, uh, as I've left on the cutting cutting room floor before, loved The Matrix. <laughs> oh, okay, right, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, The Matrix is basically just uh, a big ripoff uh, slash <clears throat> homage to Ghost in the Shell. Uh, so Right down to the uh, melon scene. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So I watched Ghost in the Shell a couple of years later because uh, I'm old and crusty. So this was back in the era where you had to get DVDs or, you know, sail the seven seas if you wanted to watch anything. Mm. And I was half half a law-abiding citizen. So Ghost in the Shell, I actually ended up buying on my trip to Scotland, I believe, when I was 19. Oh. And yeah, watched that and the second one. Okay. Uh, remember very little about the second one, but the first one... It's one of those where it has definitely been blown out of proportions for me. I can recognize that it is a fucking masterpiece of its time. It is insane that all of this is hand animated. And oh, yeah. all of it, wow. you know, as a former student of animation, I bow down, but it never really did that much for me personally. And the thing is, I did buy Akira on Blu-ray not that many years ago. I'm tempted to say in like 2018. And I was mm. like, okay, it is time. I have decided on my own terms that I'm going to watch Akira. No one has forced me to do this now. I bought the Blu-ray, went home, put it in. I'm also one of those purists who I need to watch it in its original language, so in this case, Japanese. And it was a defect. There was something wrong with it. So Ah. the Japanese version refused to play, and I was like, yeah, well, I'm this purist cunt, so I can't watch this in English. That's just not going to happen. If I'm finally going to experience it, I'm going to experience it the way it's supposed to be. And I was so bitter having spent because Blu-ray here was expensive for the longest time. So it cost me like 20 quids or something. And then it was just basically broken. And that I was sucks. so bitter that I just didn't go back to it. And I, I really do <laughs> want to. It, it's not the fault of Akira. I just didn't want to spend another 20 quids on getting a new one right away. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe one day we can get around to doing the manga on here. Because if you want to appreciate Katsuhiro Tomo's art, I think that's the... That's the place to go. Um, yeah, I think I showed you that I actually bought the first volume of the manga not too long ago. Mm, that's right, yeah. I have um, some ancient copies, some of which were bought for <laughs> me by my first girlfriend. Um, ah, so... <laughs> cute. Should be, uh, it should be quite funny to, to pick up again. So far, we have talked about a comic every single episode, but I suggested a while back for you that... Together with Pride Month, June, I would love for us to dive into Yaoi. And I picked both Fake and New York, New York. But as a leader into all of this, I suggested to you that we should have a back-to-school kind of episode where I just sit down and go, Paul, let me tell you about Yaoi. Because (laughs) I can just imagine that from all the 60 women in Norway listening to this, that 90% are going... I don't really know what Yahoo is, and let me tell you, I'm here to teach. Excellent. I'm looking forward to you being my teacher. I'm going to do my very best. I just want to shoot in, and I will probably double shoot this in when we record the actual episode. I am not a scholar. I'm not a teacher. I am not an expert. So this will all be, this is what I know, and this is what I have read. And if I'm wrong, don't yell at me on the internet, because I will cry. Well, I will... Definitely absorb everything you say uncritically and believe it for the rest of my life. Uh, Yeah, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And see you all in two weeks. Yeah, see you then. Bye. Bye. Yeah, what are we doing next week? Sorry. (laughs) One day. (laughs) Do you think there will be an episode where this isn't in the bloopers? No. So, so far, we have talked about a comic every week. Sorry, now I- (laughs) (laughs) You have infected me! It's not just me. (laughs) Okay, let's do that from the top.
Sorry, I'll start that sentence again. What a funny burp thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I feel like colic... I feel like (laughs) comic... I feel like cum. Okay, Paul. Okay, you want to talk about that? Uh,